So there is one question that has been given this evening. Last week, if I understood him correctly, the monk from Sri Lanka seemed to suggest that homosexuality was not acceptable in Buddhism. I have never read anything the Buddha said which supports this view and personally have always taken the view that if sexual relationships were non-harmful, then no Buddhist teachings were contravened. Do the Sangha councils of Thailand, Burma or the UK have an official viewpoint on this? Well, I'm very pleased the question was asked because that was a a very pronounced opinion uh, expressed last week. And it's a very straightforward matter to answer, and the answer is no. Uh, the, uh, the Sangha councils of Thailand and Burma and UK uh, do not, as far as I'm aware, have any official viewpoint on this matter. Sexual orientation is something that uh, is a matter of conditioning, various factors of conditioning, and what is a question of uh, morality or uh, wholesomeness or unwholesomeness is as is uh, articulated in the teachings on the third precept that if um, intentional erotic activity is a, a form of abuse force or intimidation is used or if it leads to uh, increased suffering or if it's to do with uh, uh, involving somebody underage, somebody who's not in a position to take responsibility for the actions they're involved with, or somebody's in a committed relationship. Uh, these are things that, of course, uh, uh, decide whether that's, uh, some, an act of sexual uh, involvement is uh, wholesome or unwholesome, skillful or unskillful. But whether it's homosexual, heterosexual, bisexual, as far as Theravadan Buddhism is concerned, it's a complete non-issue. Now, I know that um, there are uh, cultural uh, views on these things, but uh, certainly in Thailand, where I was living for five years, um, it was just a complete non-issue. Where the focus needs to be is on whether the actions are leading to increased suffering or not. It's a very important point, and as again, as I said, I'm very pleased that somebody's asked this question because uh, a huge amount of suffering in this area comes from just prejudice, unawareness, uninspected fears and desires. And that's not the Buddhist teaching. 
the Buddha's teaching is about bringing increased mindfulness to all of our conditioned views, opinions, desires, fears, until we can see them clearly for what they are. And then when there's mindfulness, sensitivity, well then there can be um, responsible behavior. Whereas when we're coming from uh, conditioned prejudices, uh, then that always leads to increased suffering. So, uh, straightforward response to the question? Um, no, there's no, as far as I'm aware, there is no uh, formal official bu- viewpoint on this. And, um, and again, uh, questions that do come up out of talks that are given here, like from last, last week or, or anything that I have to say or some of the outrageous things that Ajahn Abhinando has to say when I'm not here. Um, you know, if you want to ask questions about them, then please do. Don't, don't let him get away with it. Or me get away with it either, if, that, you know, if that's the case. Now, uh, I was wondering whether I would talk tonight or not, because, uh, as you probably can tell, I'm, I'm still making my way through having a cold. It's been... Um, having a, a good time in my body for the last two or three weeks. Ajahn Abhinando keeps kindly asking, how's your cold doing? And I say, it's having a marvellous time. Thank you very much. Um, I'm not totally equanimous towards it. But when I thought about it, well, actually, it's just everybody's, most people got a cold right now. It's all over the place. And so um, it's not a good reason to not try and reflect on something. And, and what I did want to reflect on well, was to do with what's going on right now, you know, change, you know, change of seasons. We get colds. That's what happens, you know. Now, I can feel terribly sorry for myself, as I tend to do. <laughs> I'm a complete hypochondriac and uh, hopeless, you know, always asking David to come up with some concoction of something to help me, and I appreciate all their attention. But really, you get a cold, it's basically just rest and patience, isn't it? You know, just drink a lot of fluids and don't make a big deal out of it. But um, we do, make a, we can make a big deal out of change, change of the seasons. And that's what I thought I would reflect on tonight. Some ways, some ways of, of um, some conventional ways we have of, of dealing with change because uh, physical, you know, you're getting older and, you know, we think there's something going wrong. Or in the world we live in, you know, it's, uh, uh, you're probably all aware that England lost the rugby. Yeah, grunt, grunt, grunt. Is it? And uh, what's that guy, Lewis Hamilton? He lost as well. You know? You know, it was only a few hours ago and Great Britain was ready to just show how great we are. Aren't we? It's just, you know, we're going to do the Grand Prix and the rugby and we're all high as a kite. And, well, that mood's changed big time. And it wasn't actually that long ago that the All Blacks, the beautiful way they play, and they're just going to breeze right through there. And now the All Blacks, boo. (laughs) Hudson Tiridamo sent me a joke this morning on the email. He said, what's the difference between an All Black and a teabag? A teabag stays in the cup longer. (laughs) 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 Thank you, Hudson Tiridamo. (laughs) 
you know. I mean, it was, it was only, you know, the, you know, a few weeks ago, the All Blacks, everybody was just wanted, you know, they were heroes, weren't they? And now look at them. So anyway, I don't know, I think New Zealand didn't cope very well with that change. I heard there was a massive kind of mass depression settled in over the whole country. And, um, and also, um, here, here in the community, we're changed in the community. We, we um, just got used to having Kosta Lucic from Serbia come to join us to be our guest house manager, and now he's gone. I think uh, I think it was a little bit of culture shock, and his wife um, drew him back to to Serbia. And then uh, and then today, uh, our kitchen manager and I we have a discussion, and and Jim lets me know he's moving on. So um, there goes our kitchen manager, and uh, they, you know these changes have an impact on us. You know what are we going to do? And then and then uh, also. Um, Tanpunya is coming back in a few in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, Tanhiriko is coming back in a couple of weeks' time. And then also been talking with some of you may not have heard this yet, but our dear friend Ajahn Suryo, uh, who spent a long time here, uh, will be coming up here also, but not to stay. In fact, to disrobe, and that's uh, that's rather sad news, indeed. And probably I don't know those of you whether you've heard about Ajahn Abhinando. Well, he's not going anywhere. <laughs> that's that's uh, <laughs> that's different, you know. That's <laughs> that's a change. <laughs> but um, change is not always a, a joke. It's uh, sometimes very hard to deal with. And I've been I've been thinking about how we do deal with it. And of course, ultimately, you know, we we want to have the mindfulness and wisdom to be able to accord with conditions without compromising principles. That's, you know, that's the, the great Dhamma theme that, uh, you know, one can never think about too much. How to accord with changing conditions without compromising principles. But we, the fact is we don't always have the wisdom or the mindfulness to do that and we get unsettled by change. And, and so one of the things that I think is really worth bringing our attention to is on a very conventional level of just human interaction, and that's this thing of manners. Now, it's not a word that you hear a lot of talk about, manners. Um, we don't generally um, have discussions about manners these days. But uh, I was reminded of it recently when uh, Anagarika David here was telling me how his grandmother used to always say, manners maketh the man. And um, and I, rem- I was also I was brought up with this man as maker the man and it, this is actually a uh, this is a, a quote from a um, a bishop the bishop of Winchester uh, William Wickham I think his name was and I think he it's attributed to a sermon that he gave once and of course in those days uh, man referred to uh, men and women but what it was referring to was that the attention we pay to our interaction uh, really has a lot to do with what we are. You know, manners maketh the man. Now, yeah, we could dismiss this as an old Victorian quaint expression, and there is a lot about uh, 
Victorian manners that we don't necessarily want to uh, hold to. But I would suggest that there's a lot more to manners than just certain quaint bits of Victoria, Victorian fashion. I mean, there's manners come from different things. There are manners that are fashionable you know, in the time of the, the Victorians. You know, how you held your pinky was, you know, determined whether you were well-bred or not. And, and so manners can be you know, a way of um, social control, you know, of, of kind of holding yourself up or putting somebody else down. So Walter Raleigh said, it's better to be unborn than to be ill-bred, which is, you know, I'm not sure whether I go along with that. I think that's a little bit of an extreme statement. The idea of breeding, you know, how well you've been bred determines whether you've got any worth as a human being. Well, manners, etiquette can be used as a way of, as I say, putting people down. But I think it's unfortunate if we if we dismiss all manners like that. And so the reason for raising tonight is that I, I think the values of what I call the casual culture uh, these days uh, do incline us to forget the, the place of manners, you know, how important these things really are for equipping us with the ability to deal with something like change. You know, if manners are, give a certain sense of constancy, now, I know in, um, in, the, in our training in the monastic community, we have what's called Samana uh, Sanya or the culture of a renunciate. And when you, you join this community, it can take a good long time before you really internalize you know, the, uh, the etiquette, the, the manners, the, the cultural forms that uh, have been established and, and uh, continued uh, through the millennia. But if we, do, if we do pick them up with mindfulness, with sensitivity, uh, with respect and internalize them, then what happens is that you can move pretty well within any community, any Theravadan Buddhist community all around the world, and you just, you can flow. Yeah. And, and so it's, I, this, is not, this is not something that I knew much about when I first arrived in Thailand 34 or something years ago. I, uh, my, I had uh, I'd come from a, a rather different set of cultural values that I had assimilated and the lifestyle that I was living, and they weren't to do with restraint and containment and composure and so on. Uh, but they also uh, were more or less based on, on reaction. Uh, they weren't something based on reflection. And so in my training in Thailand... And with reflection, I came to appreciate that the cultural values that we have or the cultural uh, forms that we have in the monastic community have a very important function. They really serve us well in helping give a sense of stability. And, 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 it, and it, 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 it transcends personal preference. Right? And this is one of the things about manners is that it eases the frustration of communal living that if we have agreed upon ways of interacting that reflect uh, respect and consideration. Now, this is kind of putting aside those kind of so-called manners and etiquette that are just a question of fashion or, or, or social definition or whatever. 
but rather that they can reflect a sense of mutual respect and, and, and restraint, then they equip us, they instill a sense of stability. Now, if we don't have this, and, and you know, sometimes you, you find in, uh, in like some of our monasteries in the West, we're, we're, all, we're all conditioned to be very strong individuals. And we don't necessarily immediately see the value of, of some of these um, conventions and modes of etiquette and so on. And, and so there's a lot of, you know, sometimes outright overt um, resistance and sometimes... Uh, denied or, or hidden resistance to it and that's all quite understandable but the result of that is actually it brings disharmony to the community you know, when people refuse to do things like basically not playing the game and uh, and I, I can understand that but if if we if we look a little deeper and, and not just rebel and react against conventions just because they don't seem sensible or just because we can't see the point but rather we give ourselves into them with, with respect well then you know, there's my experience that, that these conventions do really give us uh, tools for enhancing the uh, way that we live you know, like, so these days I, I find that um, it's a real joy to uh, I find, you know, just in society moving around society to really make a point of, of being polite and being friendly you know, to really, you know, to open doors for people. Now, it was a few years ago whereby, you know, this thing of do you open the door for a woman or do you not? You know, are you going to offend somebody or are you not or whatever? Well, it's my experience that the majority of people basically appreciate being shown respect and that even if there is some particular form of conditioning that's offended by your action, usually the spirit shines through. I think this is the point that, that manners are not just forms of social control or things that we have to do if we belong to a certain social group or something, but there's a point to them. And where they conflict, you know, with somebody's conditioning, well, you know, just like, well, what, you know, that's just how it is. You know, like, you know, there's these things that, even within the monastic life, you know, there's, um, you know, we have this uh, convention of, of uh, when you, you drink your tea, you're not supposed to. You know, that was really gross. You know, I'm only doing that for effect, not because I'm breaking the precepts. You know, that's, you know that in Theravadan monastic tradition, that is just a complete no-no. What is it in Pali? Suru, suru. You know, there's a, there's a rule about it. You don't do it. Absolutely don't do it. But then I went to a, um, I went to a Tibetan restaurant, and they were telling me how when the Tibetan monks come there, the noise they make when they are drinking their yak butter tea, uh, it seems like they're competing to make a louder noise. Convention, you know, that's how it is. Or it's the same apparently when you, in, uh, in Japan, that when you're drinking your, your noodles, you know, you've got your noodles, you're supposed to slurp them. You're supposed to really make a loud noise because that's a, apparently an expression of, of, um, of appreciation to the cook. Whereas I don't, I don't think in English manners, I don't think, you know, you don't do it. Certainly in the monastery, in Buddhist monasteries, you don't do that. Yeah, the, uh, Theravada Buddhist monasteries don't do that. Or, you know, the various conventions we have about manners with eating at the table. I was asking the monks at breakfast the other day, you know, is it okay to put your elbows on the table or not? 
Now, David was always bred to not put his elbows on the table, and I can't remember what I was bred. Now, some people were bred, you put your elbows on the table, and some bred, you don't. You put your hands on the table. Some places you've got to, I think in Germany, you've got to put your hands on the table, but you know. But you know, in Germany, good manners, you don't cut your potatoes, you mash them. You know, in England, we mash, we don't, we cut our potatoes, we do what we like with our potatoes in England. But in Germany, you don't cut your potatoes, apparently, I'm told. You mash them, and it soaks up the gravy, and that's the right thing to do. And, and you can think, what's the point of manners when it just leads to the disagreements? Well, you can see these things that lead to disagreements. I remember, you know, it still affects me, actually, that um, when, uh, you know, in Thailand, you, you're trained that, uh, and this is according to the Vinish tradition as well, that... Uh, that you don't tower over somebody who's, uh, who you hold up in respect. And so, you know, wherever there's a, you know, you go to see a senior monk, well, then you, you know, you lower yourself as a gesture of respect. And, and then uh, just the other day, even after being in England for 27 years or something or other, there were, there were members of the uh, Sri Lankan community were here, and they came up and they were standing over me, and I had to look up like this at them, and I had to remind myself again, even after 27 years, well, that's their conditioning. So for them, actually, it's a sign of respect to not sit down. But these different bits of conditioning are, are, are relative, but that doesn't mean to say that they're not important. And uh, I find these days that to not just look at the form of the man, you know, do you say thank you or do you not say thank you, but rather to feel for the spirit behind it. There's another quaint saying from way back. Uh, I can still remember. Do unto others as you would that they should, be do, they should do unto you. Do unto others as you would that they should do unto you. In other words, treat others like you would like to be treated. And I think that, that's really the essence of, of manners. That... You know, if we're not sure of the, the etiquette, uh, you know, the form, do we do this? Like, like when you're in a restaurant, when you're eating, uh, I learned this in England, that you tip your soup bowl away from you and you turn your spoon away from you. This is good table manners. This is, you know, but with a cereal, you tip the bowl towards you and you bring your spoon towards you, you know. I mean, <laughs> now you're all smiling because, you know, you don't think these things matter anymore. Well, it's okay. You know, in one, in one sense, these things don't matter. But we all keep finding ourselves in situations where we, we encroach on each other's space. How do we deal with that? Just as we have our own possessions, you know, like this is my wrap here, and if, um, if Ajahn Go over here kind of did something with my wrap, used it to uh, wipe up the mess he made with the cement down at the retreat house today, now, he made a mess only because he did a stunningly beautiful wall. Any of you want to go down there and admire his new stone wall, so the mess is perfectly acceptable. But if he happened to use my wrap to clean up the mess, I mean, would I feel something? I would, wouldn't I? Because it's my wrap, conventionally speaking. Well, there's also this perception of my space, and we all have this, regardless of whatever culture we're in. And to respect personal space, I think, is a, is a really important thing. And so if you, 
if we transgress somebody's personal space, well then manners is a way of actually saying, acknowledging, saying, yes, you know, I'm, I'm aware that I've, you know, like if you reach past somebody or, or if, you're, you know, if you're eating with somebody, well, that's where these conventions come from. Tanyana Moli told me the, the, uh, the shock he had to deal with when, when somebody blew their nose while we were eating. In Serbia, you don't blow your nose at the table. And, um, I mean, I wasn't even aware that anybody blew their nose, and he told me that I did um, during the meal. Uh, apparently in Afghanistan, you can get beaten up if you blow your nose during the meal. So, you know, these things change according to cultures, and according to time, there's a, a survey, the Guardian did a survey uh, recently, and apparently now, is it 66% of British people admit to having their arms on the table? And 25% burp. 25% of British people admit to burping. Now, you would never have heard of that, you know, would you, say, 50 years ago? No. But you don't pass wind at the table, right? I mean, you know, that's just not acceptable. You know, in fact, it's even a bit out of order for me to mention it because, you know, it's something you do in private. Why? Out of respect, isn't it? Out of respect for other people. And I think... I think this is really a terribly important thing that, you know, although we're going through tremendous change, whether it's personal, internal, or communal, or social, the, the rate of change is, 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 is accelerating the whole time, that just the convention of, of engaging in, in forms of showing respect for other people's space, I think is a, is a hugely important thing, and not something that we should uh, you know, just dismiss or as old-fashioned or or not meaningful. If you look at uh, some of the um, incidents in history, or in the Buddhist scriptures, there's a a recorded situation where, um, uh, who was it? The bhikkhus of Kosambi, is that right, Yanamani? The bhikkhus of Kosambi were arguing. No, no, what happened was there were two monks, two senior monks who were sharing a kuti, in Kosambi. And uh, one of these monks was a, a very um, highly skilled expert on the vinya, on the discipline. And the other one, I don't know, he was an expert on something else. And so anyway, the uh, expert on the vinya, the discipline, he used the toilet and he emptied the water jar. And when he left the toilet, he didn't fill the water jar up again. And so the other monk, sharing his kuti, accused him of committing an offence. And so the expert on the vinya insisted he didn't commit an offence and then the other monk insisted he did, and they started a little having a little argy-bargy. And these two senior monks actually started causing a quarrel in the community until everybody joined in. Everybody joined in as saying the Buddha was there. This is, I mean, the Buddha was in the monastery, and these monks were fighting over, you know, whether this was an offence to empty the water out or not. I mean, these days we all have a flush, and so we don't think about it. But actually there is such a thing as, you know, replacing the toilet roll. Like right now, I was in the toilet over there, and there's no toilet paper. I don't know who the chores master is around here, but there's no toilet paper in the, uh, the toilet over there. And, and that's unfortunate, because whoever used the last toilet paper, really, if they had good manners, would have gone somewhere and found... In fact, it was me, because I was just there a second ago. But out of good manners for you, I didn't want to keep you waiting. So apologies to anybody else who goes to the toilet after puja tonight. But hopefully one of the monks will run in and put some toilet paper in there. So anyway, these monks in Kosambi, 
they, there's terrible argy-bargy going on, and, and when the Buddha tried to intervene and tell them to, you know, be sensible, they told him to mind his own business, told him to, you know, skedaddle. And so he was so uh, unimpressed and disappointed with them that, in fact, he did. He, he showed his displeasure, and then, and then he went off to, to stay with some monks, I think led by Anuruddha, who was the leader of the community, at a nearby gathering in the uh, Eastern Bamboo Grove. Eastern Bamboo Grove. I think it was a little bit more beautiful than our Eastern Bamboo Grove. I don't know if you've noticed, we're developing a bamboo grove down there in the east, which is eventually going to be very beautiful. Well, in the time of the Buddha, uh, Venom Anuruddha and his friends lived in the Eastern Bamboo Grove, and the Buddha had heard that they were living together peacefully, so he left these quarreling monks and went to live with them. And as it happened, when he approached the park, the eastern bamboo grove, where they were staying, uh, the keeper of the park, the gatekeeper, basically turned him away and said, these monks like living in quietude, like living in silence, don't disturb them. Thankfully, the Venomana Ruta saw the Buddha being turned away at the gate and came and said, oh, no, let him in, he's a, he's a good one. So uh, the Buddha came in and he immediately noticed the harmony and the concord and, and the beauty and he commented on the beauty of these monks living together in, in such a harmonious way. And he asked the Vidalmanaruda, how do you do it? How do you live together with such contentment and harmony? And and uh, Vidalmanaruda replied and said, well, he said, Lord, I, I dwell on, I remind myself of what a benefit, what a blessing it is for me to have such company. I really, I'm, I'm mindful, I'm constantly mindful of the benefit that I receive by living in a harmonious situation. And so then it occurs to me that it's better for me to put away my way of doing things and to do that which accords with the community. And then he went into describing the, the manners that they have of how when, when uh, monks come back from going out an arms round, the first month they come back, he puts out the cushions for everybody. He doesn't put out the mats for just himself and his own water, but he thinks of everybody. And then when the last monk has finished eating, he doesn't just clean up his own space, he thinks of everybody. He goes around and cleans up the whole space, and then when there's any leftover food, uh, he, he throws the food away, but uh, not only is he being mindful of the monks that he's living with, but then he also he doesn't throw the food into places where there's crops, where the crops are going to be destroyed or damaged. He doesn't throw it into places where uh, living beings in the water are going to be hurt. He throws it into a suitable place. And he said, and this... This mindfulness of the benefit that I gain from living in a harmonious situation and paying attention to what accords with the community brings me joy and actually contributes to the community, the harmony of the community. He says, he says although we are, we are separate and different, physically we are one mind. We are one mind because of this uh, consideration. He says we live together, and he used this expression that's uh, quite often used in the scriptures, in harmony and contentment, living together like, blending together like water and milk, which mix together perfectly harmoniously. And so there are plenty of examples uh, in, in the Buddhist tradition. The, the Buddha was very clear about uh, the benefits of manners and, and mindfulness of, of the process of interaction and the spirit behind it, you know, not, not just attaching to forms, and then being picky about whether you hold your pinky out or whether you mash your potatoes or whether you burp or don't burp or whatever. But, you know, a good enough 
use of conventions, but then the, the feeling behind it, the sense of mutual respect. I think, and manners are kind of like a language that we use for, as I said in the beginning, for easing the uh, pain and frustration that comes naturally from living together. And if we dismiss this, well, you know, who knows where it's going to end up, really. Little, little weeny things become very big things, you know. Like in the case of those monks, those two senior monks who should have known better in Kosambi, it ended up becoming one of the, the kind of the biggest uproars in the recorded in scriptures. Well, there's that, those of you that are familiar with the Mahabharata, that kind of world-destroying drama, where did it come from? You know, some king kind of made a couple of faux pas somewhere, and then the other side, they, they kind of teased him about it. The next thing you know, you've got this massive war on your hands. I mean, look where it came from. And traditionally, in, in traditional Buddhist countries, if you look at the schisms that occur in monastic communities where the monastic community is, is split in half and divided, where that happens is it's often it comes from just a very small thing, yeah, a matter of etiquette, really, a matter of manners. So this very old-fashioned saying of, of manners maketh the man, um, you know, we, if we can kind of look beyond the kind of antiquated language and, and feel for the spirit of that, well, I, I'm personally in accord with with what the Bishop of Winchester uh, had to say, that this is, there's, a, there's something very important there, that just because you know, I want to do something, you know, it doesn't mean to say that actually it's going to be harmonious. You know, the, you know, and this is something I think we just have to, I'm raising it tonight because I think it's good for us just to remember this, because the way the society is, it emphasizes so much, you know, just doing your own thing. Peter Fonda. Remember? Easy Rider. I thought that was so great when I saw it. When I heard that, it was do your own thing in your own time. Leaning on the fence <laughs> with his chopper there, just beautiful. I mean, that was just amazing. And I was, you know, okay, 16, and that was, or 17, or whatever. And that was, that was the thing that was around then. And it was understandable social phenomena to be a bit rebellious against repressive structures and so on. But, I think we, uh, we, we really we miss a lot if we don't consider the flaws in doing your own thing in your own time. And, you know, and, and so seeing, seeing what happens in society, seeing what happens in our family, and then considering, considering the spirit, you know, the restraint that's required. I know that that I feel safe around when I see people with manners. Yeah, it seems like a strange thing for an old hippie who's still got a hole in his ear from where he's stud and still recovering from substance abuse. I mean, you know, to, <laughs> to say something like that. But I, I do. That's just the feeling I have. That I know the monastic community here, when you know, living together all the time, and and people. It's not just change that we're dealing with, but also difference. You know, the different cultures, you know, South African, Serbian, New Zealand, Thai, German, I mean, the difference, actually, people coming here, different stages of training, you know, I've been around for 34 years, Ajahn Aminanda for 17 or 18, or <laughs> Ajahn Go for 12 or 13, and, and you know, different stages of training and different cultures. But what I find is that if everybody plays the game, 
you know, you've got certain forms of etiquette. You know, you, you do this at this time, you bow at this time, you don't worry about it at that time. You know. Like if, if, uh, if we're sitting together and we've got our robes on, uh, it's a formal situation, well then we, we engage in a, in, a, in a sort of a ritual relationship where the junior monks talk to me and they put their hands in Anjali as a gesture of respect for the fact that this person has been around longer than they have and show respect for elders actually brings benefit for everybody. Whereas if it's an everyday situation, like if we're having a sauna together or you know, we're down there throwing rocks around or, or sweeping leaves or whatever and we don't have all our formal robes on, and, well, I don't, you know, I don't encourage people to put their rake down or you know, put their hands in Anjali when we're doing these informal things because it's a different sort of situation. So, okay, so, so this is how we use these conventions. Well, I know for myself, I find that if somebody comes along and decides, well, that's silly, just, I can't be bothered paying Anjali, you know, who does he think he is anyway? And, and uh, just because he's been around a bit longer than me, it doesn't mean to say I've got to bow to him or whatever. And so they choose to not do it. They communicate something. And I find that uh, personally, I can't relax, really, around somebody who doesn't uh, play the game. I, I reflected upon this uh, over the last few years and how some people I feel I can relax with informally, regardless of whether they're totally new or they've been around for 20 years, and some I can't relax with. And I notice this is an important point, that if somebody's willing to play the game, then... I can feel safe. Now, is that just a matter of, you know, a question of my control freakery? You know, I have got three or four planets in Virgo. I can't be a real control freak. That might, might be just that. But I don't think so. I think it's something to do with what we as social animals feel when we see that somebody's willing to give up the force of my way and just do what's done. That is a sense of, of we feel safe with them. And so I don't think this is just uh, my personal conditioning or just a few monastics. I think this is a, there's a principle in there that holds true in community in general, that if we're willing to show restraint and not just always push ourselves forward. I know the values these days of society are very encouraging of assertiveness, you know, and if you're not assertive, you don't get anything done. That's not necessarily true. I mean, there's other ways of getting things done. You know, like if you're on the telephone and you're with somebody who's being very dismissive and, and even rude to you, what do you do? Do you get assertive and heavy and rude back? Well, you can do that. But you can also just quietly ask for somebody higher up in the chain of command. <coughs> very easy to do. You just say, could, you know, could I speak to your superior? Yeah. That usually gets something done. Yeah, so there are other ways of doing it and uh, getting things done. And so... Uh, on this evening's okay, uh, reflection, I'd like to just uh, raise up for us the, the consideration that, that dealing with the rate of change uh, that we all are faced with, that, yes, ultimately wisdom and understanding is, is the, the best way of doing it, but there are also conventional agreements that we have in our society that I think if we apply ourselves to them with mindfulness, with sensitivity, uh, then there will be a, a real benefit. So thank you very much this evening for your attention.